You may open in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Wow, table's been set. There are so many things about so many of those songs. They, they, they uh, really uplifting the Lord, our relationship to Him. And I got one simple verse today. And, uh, and, and I might not go where you expect me to go today. So hang in there with me. Uh, maybe you've been anticipating this. I don't know. But if, I know you just sat down. But hey, you ought to be excited. So stand back up. I always say sit down if you can, you know. Uh, I think we ought to be excited about the Lord. But anyway, verse 18, one simple verse. Reading it in the ESV, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you in Jesus' name for your awesome, awesome goodness to us. Lord, we thank you that indeed you're our good Father. Lord, you said that, that, if, that if our son asked us for bread, we wouldn't give him a stone. If he asked for a fish we wouldn't give him a scorpion and you being a good father and us being evil would not give a bad gift that you would certainly give the holy spirit to those who ask so lord we pray today lord that you would fill us up as much as we would let you for lord we know that that you are not limited by anything but you've limited yourself to how much of ourselves we give away for you and give up for you so that you can fill an empty container not one full of self so, Lord, I pray today that your people, the Holy Spirit, might speak to your people, that we might realize where we have ourselves filling up our container, and that we would pour ourselves out, that we might be filled with the Holy Spirit. Lord, we would confess our sin, forsake our foolishness, and God, that we would desire you above all things. For indeed, we have no one in heaven but you, and beside you on earth, there's nothing we desire. So, Lord, I pray that you would speak to your church today. Lord, uh, use me if you can. Lord, I know you can, and I thank you that, that you allow me to speak. But I pray, God, that you would guide my words, that I would only speak that which is pleasing to you and honoring to you, that the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. God, may I speak your word, not my opinion. And I pray, God, that you would give us grace. We right now bind our enemy, Satan, in the authority and the name of Jesus Christ, we ask for freedom, God, that your spirit might work. We bind our enemy off of individuals, off of this church. Lord, we pray that we would all see clearly your goal, your plan, your desire for us. And that, Lord, we would be quick to obey when you speak. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You can sit down. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and tell you that what I'm about to say I got from, uh, uh, this. it's an illustration, I got it. From, um, can't think of his name now, Adrian Rogers. Thank you, sweetie. Uh, my wife's my help, my memory. But um, just suppose with me, and this is a ludicrous example, so you've got to suppose, that a man has never seen a car, never heard of a car, doesn't know anything about a car, and somebody feels sorry for him and goes out and buys him a brand new, really, really nice automobile. And he is so thankful, he's so proud. He calls his friends over, he shows them how beautiful the shiny paint job is. He shows them the nice leather on the seats. He sits them in there. He even plays the the uh, the, the stereo that came with the car because it's top of the line. Just how gorgeous it is, how much room is in the trunk, how great it is. But he has no idea about what an engine is or what it takes to run a car. So he pushes his prized possession everywhere he goes. Now, if, you, if you're from where I'm from, that might not be as much of a problem as it would be here. Can you imagine? That guy's pushing that car, and downhill is pretty good. He might even jump in and coast downhill. 
But boy, when he gets to the other side, he's going to get weary in trying to push that car up the hill. And pretty soon, the car, instead of a blessing, is a burden. So is the Christian who tries to push his own faith with his own power. You see, this says, be filled with the Spirit. Right? And I would submit to you that it is more of a sin to not be filled with the Holy Spirit than it is to be drunk with wine. And you say, well, you might have lost me right there. Really? Let me just give an illustration. Since it's Pastor Mike's last day, I'll pick on him. What if this morning he came up and, and of course, he plans a service and and, uh, I I could tell his heart's desire by the songs we sang. Amen? And, And so he came in this morning, but instead of walking up here with joy and anticipation to sing, he staggered up here. And he was saying, good, good father. Now, that would never happen. And you know that would never happen. You would all say, oh, my goodness, we got to do something about Pastor Mike. There's a problem. But how many Sundays do pastors, like myself, stand in the pulpit, not filled with the Spirit, claiming to proclaim the Word of God, speaking to the people of God about the will of God, and don't know anything of the power of God? Now you tell me which is the greater sin. You see, the sins of omission are worse than the sins of commission. Say, well, that doesn't make sense. Sure it does. Because if you're not doing what you ought to do, you've got an opportunity to do what you ought not to do. But if you are doing what you ought to do, you don't have time to do what you ought not do. I can't say that twice, so... I mean, you know, if you, you, people think the Bible's full of do's and don'ts. But if you were busy doing the do's and ignoring the don'ts, you wouldn't do the don'ts. And you'd just do the do's and everything would be cool. <laughs> so I know everybody wants me, you, you want to ask about this. Let me just say, first of all, it says, do not be drunk with wine. That is a command from Old to New Testament. All through it, don't ever get drunk, Period. Okay, and the Bible describes it as sitting long at the wine. You know what that literally means? Well, their wine was a little bit different from ours. It wasn't as strong. One of our beers today is stronger than, uh, a can of beer is stronger than their strong drink that's referred to in the Bible. You would literally have to drink it all day to get drunk. That's why Peter in Acts 2 says, they said, you're drunk. He goes, can't be drunk. By the way, they were filled with the Spirit and everybody thought they were drunk. I hope you're going to start getting a picture here. And they said, you're drunk. He says, can't be drunk. It's only nine in the morning. If we'd have started when we got up, we wouldn't have had time to get drunk. And so to sit long at the wine means to set it beside you so that you can keep drinking it all day to get drunk with the intention of getting drunk. I mean, you didn't get drunk by accident in the Bible. You had to mean to do it. And it, so it means to set it beside you. We still talking about alcohol? What do you keep closest to you? What do you set beside you? The Word of God, the person of God, the the actualization, the realization, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you? Or do you have something else that occupies all your time? You you get that, don't you? Let me just put this in context because I'm going to be honest with you as I always try to be. 
this has always confused me a little bit. Not that I didn't get it. Don't be drunk with wine, be filled with spirit. I get it. And then the next thing he says is, but speaking to yourself, psalms, hymns, spiritual psalms, not going to get there today. Next week, we'll get there. And I, I didn't quite get it. And I, I was reading a commentary that explained it to me. In Ephesus, there was a cult. And the cult um, re- got to a state of thinking they were in a God consciousness or they were conscious of God. They were seeing God and they used alcohol to get drunk. A type of music to get them into an emotional frenzy and orgy. And I'll just leave it there and you can explain if you have to later to somebody. But you get it. And they would do all that to get into this ecstatic state. If this verse had been written in the 70s, it would say, don't do Woodstock, but be filled with the Spirit. Some of you older people get that. You have to explain that to your kids too. What's Woodstock? I don't get it. Isn't that a place just up 81? I thought... uh, it was a place in New York, and some really bad stuff happened there in the 70s or 60s, whatever it was. I, wasn't, I was around, but I didn't care. Anyway, and so it was a ritual. And so what he's saying is don't participate in that false religion of trying to know God. Be filled with the Spirit. And remember, I mentioned something about music in there. And the next verse, it say, speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Our songs have a message, not just a a melody and a beat. Now, melodies and beats are cool. I love melodies and beats. But if the song's not saying something that glorifies God and brings me closer to God, speaks to a truth, then it's not worth so much. You understand that, right? And so it's always a sin to get drunk. You say, well, the Bible doesn't say don't take a drink. Well, it does if you're a priest or a pastor. They could not drink at all. Paul tells Timothy... Later on, you can take a little bit of wine because you need, you need some medicine because your stomach's upset all the time and you need a little bit. And so it was necessary, but the Bible says as a pastor not to be given to wine and it says about the deacons not to be given to much wine. So our deacons can drink a little bit. But <laughs> We're kind of unbiblical every time we do Lord's Supper because they actually did use wine, but it was a different kind of wine. I, I'm not going to go into all details about that because I don't want to get bogged down into that. And, but that word debauchery that, that is up there, uh, it, it literally means it, it destroys your body. I'm a diabetic, as you know. I went to see a nutritionist one time. And the nutritionist explained to me, because it was a class, you know, and, and she didn't know who was what. That when, if, if I as a diabetic, or you as a normal person, the moment you drink alcohol, your body recognizes that as a poison and your liver goes to work to get rid of it, and it shuts down everything else in your body, it will not allow nutrition to be absorbed until it can get rid of the poison that you've put into your system. And so as a diabetic, of course, that really messes us up. So they were encouraging us to, to, not, to not drink. And so priests could not drink at all in the Bible. And here's why, and I'll just tell you quickly, is because your mind should be controlled by the Holy Spirit, not by the bottle. You don't want to be taken out of the ability to think clearly. Oh, wait a minute. And Peter, it says, but you're a kingdom of priests. So don't get drunk with wine. Don't give yourself over, which is what the word drunk means, to be filled with, to give control over to something that comes out of a bottle, but be, give yourself over to the control of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit's never going to make you do anything stupid. He may lead you to a place of death, 
for the cause of the gospel, I'm not going to lie to you, but you'll go singing the warrior song. So be filled with the Spirit because that doesn't destroy your body. So people say, well, can I take a drink? I've got eight questions for you. I'm not even going to talk about them. You can just put them up there. Just let them hang up there. Um, here are the questions. Is the wine the same as in the Bible? I answered, no, it's not. It is different. Is it necessary? No, it's not necessary. The Bible does talk about giving a man who's dying something to drink. It'd be the equivalent of us giving them morphine today. Take away their pain, dull the senses. Number three, is it the best choice? Are there other choices for me? Could I choose something else? Probably. Number four, is it habit forming? Pretty much. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm mostly Scott, but Scott-Irish descent. I'm an American. I'm 100% American, but my ethnic heritage, I believe, I need to do that DNA test to figure it all out. But. And, and, and so, as you know, if it weren't for whiskey, Irish would rule the world. So... I don't want to take a drink because pretty much I figure I'd make it a habit. So I just, that was a habit I never developed. Is it a habit for me? Yeah. You say, well, it doesn't bother me. Good. But you don't know that until you try it. So it might be safe not to try it. Number five, is it potentially destructive? Here's one reason I'm not a fan of alcohol. Because I come from a bunch of drunk Irish Catholics. And I've seen the families torn apart and them not have money for groceries and goods. I'm married to a woman whose father was a drunk. And her earliest memory is a two-year-old seeing her dad's fist come through a door and seeing her mom checking her black eye in a mirror at two. She can remember that. She can't remember much else. She can remember that. And her mom having to escape with the kids to get them out of that danger. Is it potentially destructive? A lot more people die on the road from drunk drivers than do because somebody has a concealed carry permit. Just saying. More people die of that in this country than die of a lot of other things. That, but Will it offend other Christians? Probably. There's some. some. Some don't care. Some would. Number seven. Will it harm my Christian testimony? In certain places, certain times it would. Is it right? Well, you answer for yourself based on the first seven questions. Good questions to ask about anything. That's not just about alcohol. Those are good eight questions to ask about anything. So I'm just going to leave those there because I want to go on to the second half of the verse, which is much more relevant and good for us today. But be filled with the Spirit. You and I ought to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we've already decided that word filled and drunk, same word. It means to be pressed, to, to be overflowing, to be completely consumed by, and to be controlled by whatever that thing is. Is it controlling you or not? And let me just say, if it weren't for this part of this verse in the book of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians would be a legalistic book. It'd be all about legalism. I'm not about legalism. See, as human beings, here's something we want. Just tell me what to do. Just give me a set of rules. Tell me what you expect. Right? Right? So God took care of that early. He gave you a set of rules. We call them the Ten Commandments, right? So, let me, let me ask you. Anybody in here ever lusted after somebody who was not their husband or wife? Don't answer out loud because you'll embarrass yourself. 
Because you'll either be lying or you don't want anybody to know. Because probably everybody in here has done that. Well, Jesus said, if you lust after somebody, not your wife, same as committing adultery. And Ten Commandments, they don't commit adultery. Have you ever stolen anything? I don't mean like robbed a bank. I mean, do you ever borrow a pen from somebody and not give it back? You thief. You say, well, that's a little thing. It didn't say it had to be a big thing. It said, don't steal. So you're a thief. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. You say, well, I've never cursed a day in my life. Are you telling me you've never said, oh, my Lord, and you weren't addressing him? That's taking his name a little lightly there, isn't it? Same difference. You ever been so intensely not liking someone that it might say I even hate them because of what they did, because of the color of their skin, where they came from, or some other thing, like just cut you off in traffic? And Jesus said, if you hate your brother, it's the same as murder. And it says in the Ten Commandments, don't murder. All of a sudden, I realize I'm in a room full of adulterous, blaspheming, murderous thieves. So, what, how's that rule keeping working out for you? And so, the Bible says he'd send the Holy Spirit to write his law on our heart. And instead of having a list that we could check off, because none of us can check it off, all your righteousness looks like filthy rags in my sight, says the Lord God in Isaiah. I'm going to put my spirit in you, and I'm going to take out a heart of stone. I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. And you're going to be tenderhearted toward me. And Romans 2, the last verse says, because he's not a Jew, he's one outwardly, who circumcisions of the flesh. But he is a Jew, a person of God, who is one inwardly, whose circumcision is of the heart. Where we become tender-hearted, because that's what circumcision does. It makes you more tender. And, and tender-hearted toward God. Somebody, please say amen. amen. And so that is the people of God, that we're tender-hearted to God. We're controlled by the Holy Spirit. And if, if, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're lost. I, I need to describe a, a, a feeling here a, a little bit. And I might... Best do that a little bit about, there's, there's a certain uh, arm of Christianity that believes you get saved and later on you get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Well, that is a false theology because according to Romans eight eleven, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're lost. So we are baptized at salvation. That means immersed. That means completely covered. When you come to Christ, God doesn't go, okay, I'll save you. But one day later, when you realize that I really want to invade your life, then I'll come invade your life. No, if he didn't invade your life, you're still lost. If you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit's above you and below you and around you and in you, you're lost. You ought to drown in the sea of the Holy Spirit. And so legalism goes out the window because if God is over you and in you and around you and above you and below you and everywhere you turn, you can't get away from his presence. How in the world are you going to chase after that which you should not do? And God doesn't have to give you a list and say, try to keep this list, which no man can do. See, the Ten Commandments are an x-ray. They reveal the problem, but they do nothing to cure it. And so Jesus came and he fulfilled the law. He took the punishment of us breaking every... By the way, James says, or Peter says, you break one commandment, you broke all of them. 
And Jesus came and he took our brokenness on himself. And he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And he took his righteousness and he turned himself into sin and hung on a cross and died for you. So you could be saved. So you could know him. So you could have a relationship with God the Father. So don't hand me this. I prayed a prayer when I was a kid. I'm going to heaven, but right now I'm going to live like hell. Because those two things don't go together. So you got to be baptized in the Spirit. You can't please God without the Spirit. Ephesians 5, I've been mentioning the sin over there, but it says before that, walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. If you're not controlled by the Spirit, that's all you're going to do. And I've already kind of alluded to that. I won't go any further into that because what we want is a list of rules but we don't want to have fellowship the holy spirit will speak to our hearts he fills us and if we're filled with the spirit which means we turn control over to him then then we're just operating in our own power and isn't that what we do it's been described as like a hand in a glove a glove can't do anything on itself I've described a suit of clothes. These clothes were hanging in the closet this morning. They weren't moving. They weren't going anywhere. Weren't doing anything. I put them on. Now they go everywhere I go. They do everything I do. They, they have to follow me because I have filled them. So to be filled with the Spirit is to empty yourself of self and let God the Holy Spirit start to, to control your life. And that you go at His command. You move where He tells you to move. You say what He tells you to say. You do what He calls you to do. I mean, we, we don't want to see Pastor Mike leave, but being controlled by the Spirit, he's been led to do something that means he has to leave us. You see? He, he ha- does he have an option? Well, we all have an option. But listen, our option is not to do this or that. Our option is to obey or disobey. One time we, we passed out a card of pledging uh, financial giving to the church. And, uh, and it was kind of funny because we put on there, I will tithe 10%. I can't tithe at this time, but I, I'm going to give this percent or this much and ask God to help me to grow into at least a tithe. Because I think tithing is a great place to start. It's a lousy place to stop. And I'm gonna, so I'm going to try to grow into that. And at the bottom it says, I'm going to be disobedient and not give. That's an option. And I wanted people to know that's the option you're choosing by default if you don't obey God in giving. But that goes about every area of the Christian life. If you're not reading your Bible, you're being disobedient. If you're not praying, you're disobedient. Remember what I said, the sins of omission, which means to not do them, are worse than the sins of commission. Because if you want to be filled with the Spirit, you better be close to Jesus. The only way you can get close to Jesus is through the Scripture and through prayer. Through fellowship with other believers. In the disciplines of the Christian life of fasting and giving and witnessing and doing all those things. And that's, those things happen, but it's not a rule. Well, if you fast this much and you pray this much and you give this much, now you're filled with the Spirit. But it puts you in the place of being filled with the Spirit. But you won't do those things without being filled with the Spirit is, is the, the truth. Notice the command here. Do not be drunk with wine. Be filled with the Spirit. But I want you to notice something else, church. I really want you to catch this. Look at verse 15. Be careful then how you walk. Does anybody have a King James Bible with them? I saw somebody embarrassingly raise their hand in the back. You don't have to be embarrassed, bro. It's a good version. 
what is, what is the, do you have a King James Bible? What is the word for you in verse 15? Huh? But what is, what is the pronoun there? Ye or thou? Ye. Oh, here's the difference. Y'all know in English, I, you, he, she, or it, we, you, they. In English, you is singular and plural. Right? In case you didn't do English. Singular and plural. Okay? In case you're like me, I, I took English as a foreign language. I'm just saying. All right? <laughs> then I married a woman who was very good at English, and you should have heard me before I was married. So <laughs> oh, it was bad. But anyway, so when you study the Greek language, you find out that in the King James English of its day, they had a word for plural you and a word for singular you. Singular you is thou. Plural word is ye. All of you walk circumspectly. All these verses here. And by the way, this is the verse to me that really pivots. Because what comes after this is hard. It's tough. And if you're not filled with the Spirit, you will not walk with God in what he says after this. What, you thought, what came before you thought was hard. Now it really gets hard. Because it calls on me as a husband to be sacrificial with my life toward my wife. It calls on children to obey their parents. It calls on wives to follow the leadership of their husband. It calls slaves to be obedient to their masters. Masters to be kind to their slaves. And it calls us to put on an armor and go to battle. And if you don't do that in the spirit, you're not going to do it. Because it goes against our nature. It goes against our, our flesh. But in verse 15, he's telling the church, be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. You make the best use of the time as a church. How long do we have? And this particular personification of who Calvary Baptist Church is. As long as all of us are alive. But it's going to change as it goes. And so don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Know what God wants us to do now. And then do it for heaven's sake. And don't get drunk with wine. Don't be crazy. Don't be emotional. Don't don't go after some other way to know God. God has revealed himself in his word through the person of Jesus Christ. The living word who gave us the written word. And he sends the Holy Spirit. And he says, Jesus said, I will send him and he will testify of me. And so if you're having a Holy Ghost revival and you're talking about the Holy Ghost, it's a spirit, but it's not the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit talks about Jesus. Just saying. I guess I say that a lot. Somebody said that to me the other day. Just saying. (laughs) So, how does the Holy Spirit, how are we filled with the Holy Spirit? I want you to notice in Acts 2. I want to give you a couple of verses. I'm not going to run all over the Bible. But I do want to give you a couple of verses. Acts chapter 2 verse 33 shows us how this works. Peter is preaching to the Jews in Jerusalem at Pentecost. And he says in verse 31, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. Talking about uh, David. That he was not abandoned, that he was not abandoned to hell, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up and of that we are all witnesses. He's talking about the resurrection of Christ. Now, they saw it in its fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. All those Jewish people knew that David had written in the Psalms that he would not see corruption. And Jesus rose from the dead. He was seen of over 500 people at one time. 
You can't, by the way, psychiatrists, psychologists have said that is an impossibility to have that many people have a mass, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Everybody whispered it. Hallucination, Hallucination. thank you, good word. It's, it's impossible for that many people at one time to have a mass hallucination like that. It, 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 it is physically impossible. And so Jesus obviously raised from the dead. But look at verse 33. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God. Who's exalted to the right hand of God? Just say it out loud. Jesus. And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. How was the Holy Spirit promised to Jesus? That, have you ever thought about it? What does that mean? That God the Father promised to give Jesus the Holy Spirit. It says in John, Jesus was filled with the Spirit without measure. The Holy Spirit controlled Jesus. Everything he did in this world, in his flesh, he did not as God exercise an independent deity, but he did it as a man filled with the Holy Spirit. And so he could look at us and say, what I did you can do because the Holy Spirit's going to fill you too. But how's the Holy Spirit filled? I don't know because, but here's what it is. Jesus submitted himself to the will of the Father, right? Is Jesus less than God? No. So what does it mean when he says, when it says he submitted himself to the will of the Father? It means he agreed to do it, right? Then Jesus said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and he's going to talk about me. The Holy Spirit has submitted himself to the will of the Son. Having received the promise of the Holy Spirit, verse 33... He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Who poured out the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit? Jesus. So you want to be filled with the Spirit, you go to Jesus, who has received the promise of the control of the Holy Spirit. Just as the Father controlled the Son, the Son controls the Spirit. So you don't go to the Spirit and say, would you do this? He's got to have permission from Jesus in a sense. I'm just explaining this in human terms. I have no idea how the Trinity works amongst itself. Okay, I just want you to understand, I'm not speaking arrogantly. I'm speaking in a way that we can understand. And so you go to the Son and say, Lord Jesus, thank you for saving me. Thank you for baptizing me in the Holy Spirit. Now fill me with the Spirit. By the way, the filling of the Holy Spirit in these verses, other verses in the Bible, first of all, it needs to be conscious filling. It's, it always says, be being filled. Even here it says, be being filled. It is a continuous state of action. In other words, it's not, oh, I got saved, baptized in the Spirit, now I'm walking in victory. No, it's you were baptized in the Spirit. Now all the time, moment by moment, day by day, minute by minute, hour by hour, I need to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Some of y'all think you're Hondas. You think you can go a week on a tank of gas. We went to Suffolk yesterday, and I had to pull the church trailer and get a few more things from the house. We think we got it all now. And by the way, anybody wants to help me unload the trailer? We got in late. Um, 12 miles a gallon, that Ford. And that was when the trailer was empty. $90 to fill the tank every time. That's how some of y'all live your Christian life. You're gasping for gas. And you think you got to get back to church to get filled. You got to wait till the music's exciting. Oh, the Lord really moved in that song. Did you hear it when the kick drum kicked in there? That was awesome. I just felt the Holy Spirit come in, boy, when he hit that high snare. That bass was just 
getting those licks in. It was awesome. God was just there. No, man. You go to Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, I need thee every hour. Every hour I need thee. Every minute, every hour, every day, because he's a good, good father. And he will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. And so we, I know we just always say, dear God, but he is in three persons. You can address individuals of the Trinity. And, and, as, and, and so you need to be consciously be being filled all the time, over and over. Be being filled by the Holy Spirit. And then you ought to be filled completely. It means to be completely filled up. You ought to be permeated with the Holy Spirit. It means you pour pour glass full and you keep pouring even though the water's coming out the top. That's what it means. To, that's the definition of the word filled here. It is overflowing. What did Jesus say? Come into me. And out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And then you look in Revelation chapter 20. And I saw the throne, the Father and the Lamb seated on their throne. And from between the midst of them a river of life flowing. Feeding the tree of life by which brings healing of the nations. And every month it gets a new fruit on it. Amen? Amen? I don't think y'all are grasping that because y'all have jumped up and charged hell with a water pistol after that. The Holy Spirit is flowing from the throne of God. He's a river of life. He's a river of living water. And Jesus said, if you come to me and drink, out of your innermost being will gush out a river of life. And the Holy Spirit will outflow and overflow and go everywhere. Out of your life. By the way, I pray that for my wife every morning before she goes to work. Dear Lord, today be a river of life flowing out of her to teachers and students and parents and other administrators and everybody she has to come in contact with. And I pray it for myself to be completely filled. You know when somebody's filled with the Spirit, that's what they talk about. Any of you guys know what people are talking about this morning? I say guys, maybe some ladies know too. What happened last night? Yeah, Mayweather beat McGregor, right? What if one of our guys here, when hunting season comes in, he shoots a Virginia State record buck? He's going to come to church with an 8x10 glossy hanging around his neck, (laughs) going, yeah, I did that. You ain't, you're not going to have to ask him. I, I tell you what, you could talk to me for five minutes. I'm going to start showing you pictures of my grandkids. It just, it's just going to flow out. What are you filled with? What are you filled with? Are you completely filled up? Thirdly, you ought to be conspicuously filled. It means totally filled. Jesus was conspicuously filled with the Holy Spirit. He did not do anything of his own, but only that which the Father led him to do. And it was obvious that what he did, he did... And the power of the Holy Spirit in him. As he went to Lazarus' tomb, he says, I don't need to pray because I've already prayed and you've already said you're going to do it. But I'm doing it so that everybody around me, I know you did it. He didn't go there and go, watch what I can do. I can heal the sick. I can feed the... No, he said, this is the Father works through me. This is what the Father's doing. And that's how we ought to be. That letting the Holy Spirit work through us. 
Be filled with the Spirit. How are we filled with the Spirit? We confess our known sin. And then we ask God to show us some more that we didn't know. Because we got a lot of them. And we forsake those sin and we turn to Him and we ask Him to fill us. And then we are sensitive and obedient to what He does. But it's not in a vacuum. It is, it is here. I, I heard a preacher say uh, just yesterday, the Bible, that, that prayer is a conversation with God. And we say, well, how do I hear God talk back? Well, He's already done His talking. We respond to this and then He brings scriptures to mind and that's how He talks to us. This is God's one-sided conversation, but he wants you to get in on the conversation. And so you pray with an open Bible, and you read God's word back to him, and you pray his word. And when you find a promise there, I can be filled with the Spirit. Lord, I want to be filled with the Spirit. And you say, well, I'm not envied of myself yet, and I'm not sure. Well, let him fill the cracks and crevices that are there. And then you realize, man, this is a lot better than what I got in my life. Let me get rid of it. We're afraid to let God work in our life. We're afraid to let go of what we already have and what we already know because we don't know what God might do. I don't say that lightly because I, I, I was praying. I, I feel God wants to move in, in this church, in Calvary, in this part of his body. And that God wants to bring revival here. But I'll tell you this, God will not bring revival as long as there's dissension, as long as there's factions, as long as there's them and us, as long as as we don't have the same united vision to reach this city for Christ, this state for Christ, this country for Christ, this world for Christ, as long as we're more concerned about the color of the carpet than the destination of lost men and women, we will never, ever, ever see the work of God in our life. But when we start confessing our sins, i got a bad attitude. I, I, I've been not worshiping God like He asked me to do. I, I'm giving in to my physical appetites no matter what they are. It says, don't be drunk with wine. Could have said, don't eat too many donuts, Pastor Mike. There's, yeah, there's a couple of ta- tables of donuts were out there this morning. I went by because I got one donut hole. And I was like, let me walk away because I'm going to eat them all. I won't indulge in that appetite. As long as we're doing those things, the Holy Spirit won't fill us. Because he wants a clean container. But I can't clean myself up. He's got to clean me up. So here's some stuff to do. Decide with what or who you want to control you. Do you want your job to control you? Do you want your family to control you? Do you want your hobby to control you? Do you want alcohol to control you? Do you want food to control you? Do you want television to control you? Internet to control you? What do you want to control you? If the answer is anything other than God, the Holy Spirit then you're not going to be filled. Then confess any known sin and ask God to reveal even more of them to you. I've already said that. Because that's the only way we know. Isaiah had been preaching for five chapters. And in chapter 6, he said, When the king died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And I said, Woe is me, for I have unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. The preacher had to say his lips were not clean. And you will not see your sin until you get into the presence of God. So the third thing is stay close to Jesus. Because it is in His presence, in the light of His pure holiness, that we begin to see ourselves in a realistic way for who we actually are. That's what Paul tells us in another place. To judge yourself rightly. In other words, to see yourself as you actually are. And let God say, hey, this isn't right or that's not right. You know what? It's not my job 
to figure out where you're obedient, where you're not obedient. It's my job to ask God to show me where I'm not obedient, where I'm disobedient. If we'd spend more time examining our own heart and life and crying out to God, when we saw the sin in somebody else, it would lead us to pray instead of to criticism. Do you know that? That's just a fact. And so stay close to Jesus. Did Jesus come along and go, yeah, you messed up, you dirty, rotten sinner, you? you I'm going to show you what you deserve. Or did he go to a cross and die for your sin? So... Are you better than Jesus? Then what you need to do is tell them about the Savior who died to save you from your sin and died to save them from their sin and that they can know him. And I just pray that all of us, I started to say this earlier last night as I was praying about this sermon and for today, I asked God to bring revival. And then I said, no matter the cost. And then I got scared. Because revival is bloody. Revival is warfare. Revival means that the people of God come to a new place of obedience. And you don't come sometimes to obedience until you feel the correction of God in your life. Now, I love that Jesus said when he's talking about the vine and the branches, but you're clean through the word that I've spoken to you. If you'll, let, if you'll take God's warnings in his word and repent of your sin and confess it and forsake it, God won't have to bring out the pruning shears. Same word for pruning is for cleansing, by the way, in that verse. But if not, he'll start cutting and snipping and cleaning. And in my prayer, I realized that I was more desirous to keep my foolishness than I was to have God fill me. Because it'd be so much more comfortable than to truly surrender all. So I don't know what your prayer is. I'm just telling you, I'm still struggling and on a journey too. You know you're backslidden if you could say, you know, I used to be close to God and I've gotten away from him. Well, you, there, you might start there. I don't know what your particular need is. I just know that we all need the power of the Spirit in our life. And this church, Calvary Baptist Church, will never accomplish anything eternal for God until ye are filled with the Spirit. Until the church is filled with the Spirit. Until we can't help but love each other. We can't help but encourage each other. We can't help but help each other to look more like Jesus. And when we see somebody stumbling and struggling, we go pick them up and say, Brother, I'm praying with you. Let me hold you up till you can get across the finish line. Let me encourage you. Here's what the scripture says. Taking heed to ourselves. Let me pray with you. Pray for me about this. We're going to pray together. And we help each other get there. And until we can do that, what do you have to give anybody that's not in the church? Jesus said, you love those who love you, even the heathen do that. But I say to you, love those who hate you, love those who despitefully use you, love those who hurt you, and prove to be sons of the Father. That's the proof. So are you filled? You got to answer that for yourself. I don't know. I hope you could say, but I want to be. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief.